welcome to the At Ramsey Heights podcast, your source for all of our audio messages at Ramsey Heights Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. This is Pastor Brian Coates, and I hope this encouragement from God's Word connects with you and helps guide you through your next steps on your journey with God. Enjoy today's message. Bibles with you, and I hope that you do. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, I don't know about you guys, I have always wanted a horse, but I know nothing about horses. Like, I, I have no clue what to do with a horse, what I would do if I had one. I would try to ride it, but I don't even know how to put a saddle on one, if I'm being honest. And I feel like not everybody feels the same way I do about horses. Some people think that horses are very useful, that they maybe even are a necessity. Some people think that horses are trouble and they don't want them. Uh, In the movie Sherlock Holmes, Robert Downey Jr.'s character said this when they were trying to get him on a horse. He said, horses are dangerous at both ends and crafty in the middle. Why would I want something with a mind of its own bobbing about between my legs? Some of you may feel that way today. So when you look at horses, you can look at them one of two different ways. It could either be something really good or it could be something really bad. Well, I'm going to historically expand on that knowledge that horses could be good or could be bad. Horses were used for a lot of different purposes throughout history. And in the Middle Ages, horses were actually used for execution. I know what you're thinking. What a way to start a service, Brent. I'm going somewhere with this. Hang on. Stick with me for just a second. They, they actually, when there was a heinous crime, like somebody who tried to assassinate a monarch or, or succeeded in assassinating a monarch, they actually had this punishment, this form of execution, where they would take four horses and four ropes, and they would tie one, ho- or one rope to each part of the person they were planning to execute, one to the left leg, right leg, right arm, left arm. And then they would take those horses and slap them on the rear, and they would take off. Maybe you've heard the saying, was torn limb from limb. That's about what would happen. I won't get any more uh, in detail with that, and I spared you the picture. You're welcome. But that was actually a way that they executed people. But at the same time, if you take those same four horses that are used for destruction and you harness them and you get them all going in the same direction, they're incredibly useful. You take a horse and hook it to a stagecoach or a wagon or a buggy or whatever, they will all go in the same direction and you can use that for a very specific purpose. What's the difference in the way those two groups of horses are aligned? The difference is that somebody with a plan and a purpose harnessed them to go a certain direction for a certain reason. If, if without that, the four horses would pull apart and would tear a human apart. Now, a church is a lot like that. When we come here, we're all tied together. As we come together as a church, if one person is pulling that direction and one person is pulling that direction and somebody's pulling this direction and somebody's going that way, what will eventually happen is everybody will pull hard enough until you rip the church into four pieces or more. But if we were to all be pulling in the same direction, if we were all going the same way, how much could we accomplish for God all going the same way? And what's the difference? The difference is everybody doing what they want to be do or everybody allowing themselves to be harnessed by somebody or something that has a plan and a purpose for everybody pulling in one direction. So what that tells me is that a church needs to be harnessed together, moving in the same direction by somebody. Now, what you're probably thinking is you think I'm talking about me. I'm not talking about me. My job is not to have us pull together in the same direction. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit. That when we come together as a church, the Holy Spirit should be tying us together and harnessing us and each of us being pointed in a specific direction so that God can work for us. 
That's what we're going to talk about today. Now, just a little background if you haven't been here. We've been in a series called Unify Us, and we are talking about church unity from the first few chapters of uh, 1 Corinthians. And what we found out is that the Corinthians are, in fact, disunified. They've got several different factions that are focused on different leaders. And what Paul is pointing out to them in 1 Corinthians, he's saying, you've got a broken theology. Something, something is wrong with how you're handling this. You're putting too much faith in leaders, and because you're putting faith in leaders, you're all pulling different ways as you each respect different leaders more. What Paul is telling them is you need to get a correct understanding of God and understand that your church and the work that you're doing is not based upon the wisdom of men, either the wisdom of your leaders or how smart you think you are in choosing leaders, but it is um, based upon the power of God. So Paul continues this morning, he's continuing this thought, trying to get Corinth and hopefully trying to get us to understand that all of the things that we could think of that may be important to God, those are not the important things for a church, for church unity, or for church purpose. The important things, excuse me, the important things are in relying on the power of God. If you've got your Bibles open, this is chapter 3, let's read verses 1 through 4 together. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you uh, as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto ye were not uh, able to bear it, neither yet now are you able. For you are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? So Paul continues on with his thought, and he lets us know that there are two different groupings of people within the church, within Christians. The first one, he uses this word about four times. The first one is what he calls carnal. Now, all that really means is that these people are born naturally to want to fulfill their own desires. We're all born that way. My daughter will scream when she doesn't get what she wants. I didn't have to teach that to her. She just knows that she wants what she wants. And so Paul says, a lot of you are acting in a carnal way. Your motivating, your motivating factor is the word I. That means when it comes to a big decision, like do I take the job or not? You, you are saying, I want or I don't want the job. When there are rules for your life in the Bible, you're saying, I do want to do that or I don't want to do that. When you're handling your money, your motivating factor is what do I want this money for? When you're angry, what you're saying is what do I want or what I feel? That is carnal. That is natural. That is how we are all born. But Paul says there is another group of people, the group of people that he calls spiritual. This is a group of people led collectively or individually by the Holy Spirit. And so if you're led by the Holy Spirit, instead of your motivating factor being, what do I want? What is my desire saying? What are my urges telling me I need? Your motivating factor is, what does God want? And so when we ask about that new big job or how we spend our money or what we do with whatever desires we're having, the first thing we ask is what does God want for my life and we seek that out. Uh, last week we talked about, we finished with talking about being led by the Holy Spirit. And then there's four things we must do to be led by the Holy Spirit individually. 
thing number one is we must be saved. It is very important for us to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord before we can acknowledge he has a right to lead us. And when we are saved, the Holy Spirit is given to us. And from that moment on, it is trying to guide us and to change us in different ways. If you are unsaved, the only leading the Holy Spirit gives you is a need for salvation. Secondly, to be um, led by the Holy Spirit, we must be leadable. What that means is that when we come into a church or when we get into God's word or we pray and we ask God to do something for us or what he wants us to do, we must have our mindset that I am willing to go a direction other than what I want to do. I've got to be willing to go to God and say, God, I'm going to ask you and whatever you tell me to do, I will do. Uh, third, to be led by the Holy Spirit, we must be listening. We must be seeking God. If we are not listening, we will often miss, the Bible calls the Holy Spirit a small, still voice. We will often miss what the Holy Spirit is saying to us if we're not seeking him out through God's word and through prayer. And the last step is we must be obedient. We must be willing to follow through on what God has called us to do. Those are the four factors that make us spirit-led individuals. And there's what Paul is saying is there's this expected process of growth when you become a Christian, when you get saved. You're going to start out as a carnal being. Everything that you do in your life is based upon you. What do I want to do? But as you grow in your understanding of God and you grow in your knowledge of the Spirit and you learn to be uh, Spirit-led, you will become a more spiritual being turning away from the natural urges and the carnal side of you. And what he's saying to Corinth is that you guys are spending too much time relying on human wisdom. And that's a sign of you being carnal. That's a sign of you desiring what you want to desire and doing what you want to do, not a sign of you being spirit-led. Our first take-home truth today, if you're taking notes, is division in a church is a sign of spiritual immaturity. We saw this in Corinth. They were spiritually immature, focused too much on what leader did more. But we can see that modern day in different signs of division in a church. What that tells us if we see division in a church is you have a church full of spiritually immature people that are putting too much emphasis on what I think, what I want, what I desire, what I know to be right, instead of asking God to lead us. When we do this, when we do this, we often think, well, Brian, I must be spiritually mature. I got saved 20 years ago. I got saved 30 years ago. I've been saved for 50 years. Some of you guys have been saved for longer than my parents have been alive. But a lot of times what we do when we think of that is we start focusing on the time, the amount of time that we've been saved and not the amount of growth over time. What Paul's saying to the people at Corinth is, you guys have been saved, and there's been a period of time, but we're not seeing growth over time. And that can be true today. There are churches in America, maybe even this one, that are full of people who are truly followers of Christ, but they've matured very little over the decades that they've been followers. So why do people become followers of Christ, but yet they don't spiritually mature? So we're going to look at four reasons why you may be, or why we may be spiritually immature. Now, each of these assume that we're saved. Obviously, you may be spiritually immature because you don't have the Holy Spirit. Maybe it is within you, or maybe it is not within you to be spiritually mature because God is not leading you yet, which means the first step would be you need to accept Christ as your Savior. But reasons that we may be spiritually immature, number one, you may be a new believer. 
Now, there's this expectation that it will take time for any individual to grow. If you get saved today or you got saved last week, you are not going to be a spiritual giant and know everything within a week. There's a period of time and a process in growing. And Paul compares it milk and meat and being like babies in Christ. That's actually a biblical term. Now, when you think of a baby, like when a baby is born, you don't just expect them to be born and go off to college. There's a process of growth in there. First, the baby will learn to kick and work those legs, and eventually your child will learn to roll over. We expect that to take some time, and then they will start to crawl, and after they start to crawl, they will start to pull up, and once they start to pull up, they will start to walk, and then they will develop an attitude. Some of you parents are amen on that, right? Like, like there's this expectation that we understand that babies have to grow, and, and it's the same thing for a baby Christian. Just like a baby is beginning a new life, and they have to learn, a baby Christian is starting a new life and they have to learn as well. So if you are a baby Christian, it is okay for you to just be learning the basics. It is okay for you not to know everything just yet. But I do want you to know that you should be seeking to grow a little bit. You, you should be seeking to grow as much as possible. And most times, not all the time, one of the ways that God will do that is he will put mature Christians in your life to guide you and lead you. If you are a baby Christian, if you are a young Christian, you should be seeking out a more mature Christian to mentor you and to help you learn how to follow Christ as good as you should. Now, a lot of times what we'll do when we see a more mature Christian is I'll go, wow, I, I do this with other pastors like that dude's got it all together. I'm nothing like him. I don't know how to be like him. A lot of times as Christians, that's what we do. But what we should be doing instead is instead of marveling at the, the fact that they know a lot, we've got to ask ourselves and purposely even ask them, how did they get to know all of these things? And then we follow in their footsteps. So if you're a new believer, you should be growing, but you shouldn't know a lot yet. Uh, reasons that we may be spiritually immature, number two, is a failing faith community. I put this purposely first before we get into anything else. And I'm willing to admit that at Ramsey Heights and at the church down the road and anywhere that you may attend church now or in the future or in the past, this may be true. It is possible that the church is not growing you as they should. See, every church has a mission. They don't get to pick their mission. The mission is given to us by God. And that mission is to make disciples. To, to make disciples, we have to first introduce people to Christ and, and get them to the point where they're willing to accept him. But after that, we have a responsibility as a church to mature them. And it is possible that churches across the world, it is possible here even at Ramsey Heights, that our focus or that another church's focus is not on making disciples. The focus may be on getting a lot of people in the door. The focus may be on the offering. All of those things are wrong. Now, let me say that, and the reason I put this here is if this is true of Ramsey Heights, that is my responsibility, and I ask you to hold me accountable on that. We are a church that is trying to be diligent in making disciples by both sharing the gospel and taking young believers or intermediate believers or old believers and mature them in different ways. As a matter of fact, our next sermon series is going to be over the ABCs of disciple making as we talk about a program we've been putting together to be more diligent in growing disciples. Now, I said all that, and I think it's fair, and I think it's good for us to say that, but let me also say this. We need to make a distinction. 
If you're going to a church and you're showing up one or two hours a week and sitting in service, but you're never taking opportunities to get to know people in small groups, you're never uh, participating in a service project, you're never taking a step towards membership, those are growth opportunities that you are choosing not to take because those growth opportunities cost you commitment. In which case, that is not the fault of a faith family. That, that is the fault of you not being willing to grow when opportunities are provided. So how you interact with your faith community determines how much you will spiritually grow. Which brings us to the point that sometimes spiritual growth is your responsibility. So number three reasons we may fail or we may be spiritually immature. Number three is a failure to pursue God. I love the word pursue in the Bible. God came here to pursue us. And we as Christians, we get the opportunity to turn around and pursue God as well. But pursue just simply means to chase. It's an action word. It's not something that just happens. It means that I put effort into chasing people. Let me take that back. I put effort into chasing God. I've got a picture coming up here from the best TV show in the history of mankind. Oh, Mr. Roscoe P. Coltrane from the Dukes of Hazard. If you guys ever saw the Dukes of Hazard, you, you know the story. It's these two Duke boys. They've got this orange car. They drive around really fast. And the sheriff and the, the county commissioner, I think he was, were kind of crooked. So they were always fighting with them. And they'd be driving in the souped up uh, General Lee. And they'd go flying past Mr. Roscoe P. Coltrane, kind of the crooked sheriff of Hazard County. And he would get so excited. I, can't, I, just, I was going to try to make his noises. I can't do it. He'd get so excited. And, and he'd throw the hammer down and he'd take off and he'd always yell, hot pursuit, I love it, I love it. But what he was doing is he was purposely putting effort into chasing. And when it comes to being a follower of Christ, there is nothing greater that we could say of ourselves. What do you do with Christ? Hot pursuit. I love it. I love it. I'm chasing him. I'm trying to learn. And so the basic ways that we grow or that we pursue God is number one, communication. And that means prayer. And that means not just prayer like you go to bed, it's like, dear Lord, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray, oh Lord, my soul to keep. Not that kind of stuff. I'm talking about when you learn to truly bear your heart to God. And when you learn to pray in that way, what you will find is prayer is a two-way street. You will find yourself talking to God and, and in a special way, you'll hear him talking back to you. That sounds crazy, but it's the truth. When we truly pursue God and we truly pray with him, he will convict us using the Holy Spirit. Secondly, if you're going to build any relationship, especially a relationship with God, you have to spend time together. Every person in this room should be taking a portion of their day to study the Bible. Now, what I'm saying when I say that, I'm not saying is you should own a Bible or like, oh, I'm missing out. I'm not doing very good at that. Like, like what I'm trying to tell you is you need time that you spend with you and God and he helps you navigate the day. You should take your Bible and you should ask questions about life from the Bible. God, how do, how, how do I handle an angry coworker? Any of you guys got those? If you worked in a school, you would, trust me. How do I handle an angry coworker? God, what do I do when my marriage is failing? God, God what, what do you want me to do to this person who's attacking me all the time? And the Bible, if you will ask it questions, the Bible will answer for you. And I'll even make it easier for you. It has been made so easy for you and us. You have Google. 
It is perfectly okay to Virgil, to Virgil, to Google, I need verses. I need verses on how to handle an angry coworker. I need verses on how to raise my children. And then you get into the Word and you begin to study and you spend time together pursuing Him. The last thing that you need, one of the biggest things that you need, is you need to invest in godly relationships. And that is so hard for us because investing in godly relationships takes time for us. It means I have to give up something I like to do when I would want to do it, and I have to take time to be at church, to be in a small group, to ask somebody to mentor me, to ask somebody to go out to lunch so I can ask them about God. You need godly relationships. Because if you spend all of your time hanging out with your old drinking buddies, you will never grow spiritually. And those are some of the ways you can grow your relationship with God. But you notice all of those take action from you because we have to be pursuing Him just as He pursued us. The fourth reason, number four, we may be um, spiritually immature is flat disobedience. You may not be growing and maturing spiritually because somewhere in your life there is a sin and you're absolutely refusing to give it up. I, I refuse, I refuse to do what God has called me to. I've closed this one part of my life off to him and what we're saying to God is I will not do it your way. No matter what the Bible says, no matter how many people guide me, no matter how much I know that you want it, I will not do it your way. And what we're effectively saying to God in that moment is, I'm refusing to grow spiritually because I'm refusing to allow myself to be led, to be changed because it's hard and you'll find yourself stuck in a stagnant faith. Now what you notice about all of these actions is no matter what the action is, no matter what reason we may be spiritually immature, there's a responsibility of me and you to mature ourselves. Let me take that back. There's a responsibility of me and you to allow God to mature us. Maybe that's a better way of putting it. If the first thing is true, if you're just a new believer, then, then what you should be doing is, is trying to learn those basics of the faith and learning how to grow and building habits into your life that will eventually grow you into a spiritual giant. If you attend a church where God cannot grow you, whether it's here or anywhere else, you should find a different church. I will say this with confidence. I am more worried about your spiritual growth than I am if you attend my church. If you can't grow here and you're investing in Sunday school and service projects and you're saying, I'm just not growing, I'll help you find somewhere to go because I'm so much more interested in you getting to know Christ than you being a number at our church. If, if you're the third one and you're failing to pursue God, it's time to build some things into your daily routine that help you pursue God. I'll be honest with y'all, 100%. Bible study is my weakness. And the reason for that is it's kind of a job to me. Like I spend so much time over a week spending time digging into 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that sometimes I forget mentally to go and have my own personal study time. And I remedied that a few months ago and this is the silliest thing. It's the most immature thing for somebody to do. But here's the truth. I get an email at 5 o'clock every morning that has Bible passages in it. And that's the first thing I do when I wake up because I had to build into my routine some way for me to have some time to Bible study that would remind me and it would keep me on track. Maybe you just need to find out what works for you to build things into your routine where you're pursuing God. 
a prayer time at lunch at work, waking up and doing your private devotion then, putting aside the hour of eight to nine, and that's your time to really dig into the word, but you need uh, to work on that. We all need to work on that. And if you don't know how to do that, we will provide you resources to do that. And last, if you're being flat disobedient, if God's telling you to do something and you're just refusing because it's not fun to you, because you don't want to commit to that, what you should do is simply repent and follow God, which is what salvation is in the first place. Because the truth is, is there is an expectation of growth for us as Christians. There's an expectation from God of spiritual growth. He did not save us so we could remain the same just to get into heaven. He saved us to change us and work in us so he could use us here to bring other people closer to him. And we must spiritually mature. And it does kind of look silly when we're a very mature Christian, or I'm sorry, a very seasoned Christian. We've been saved for a long time and we're still not very mature. My daughter, you've seen her. She's this tall. She's as cute as she can be. She's two years old and she sleeps every night with Bun Bunny and Puppy. And it is a big deal, guys. Some of y'all have had kids. You know this. She wants, she wants her stuffed animals. And that's acceptable. She's two. Everybody in here is like, of course, she's two. She wants a stuffed animal. But if we were all on a church retreat together, and it was getting bedtime, and I was like, hey, guys, I got to go home. I forgot my bunny. Can't sleep without it. You would think I was a little weird. My daughter's two years old. She's also potty training. Like, nobody in here would have been shocked this week if you were talking to Jessica and she's like, hang on, I'll be right back. I got to go change this diaper. But if you were talking to Jessica and I walked up to you and I was like, excuse me, hey, babe, I made a shoey. I need your help. You would be looking for a news of church, as you should. Because there's an expectation of growth the older that we get. And it's the same thing with our faith, that there should be a a bit of growth in us. And what Paul's telling the church at Corinth is, you guys are messing up and having division because you're not spiritually growing the way that you should. Let's keep reading here, chapter 3, verses 5 through 9. Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom you believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then, neither is he that plants anything, neither is he that waters, but God that gives the increase. Now that he that plants and he that waters are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. So here's what Paul says is you've got a broken theology. You have a broken understanding of God. Your understanding of God tells you that one person is more important than the other, that human wisdom is what is going to fix the church, what is going to grow the church. But the correct theology is this, is that God works in ways that you don't understand. I put this in my notes. I don't know what this means. God works in multiple diversities. God works in the people in this church that see things the exact opposite of how you see it. God gives different gifts to different people and different abilities to see different things. And Paul uses himself as an example. Uh, Paul says, I planted this church. For one and a half years I was here, I planted, I introduced the first Christians to Christ. But after me, after I left, Apollos comes in. And he was pastor and the church grew a lot under him, spiritually and physically. And you're sitting here and asking which one is greater? Was Paul better or was Apollos better? That's a sign of spiritual immaturity. And he uses this analogy, this parable of crops. I have a black thumb. I'll kill anything I plant. Me and my wife both. But I've got the basics of planting things down. You put a seed in the ground, 
You make sure it has sunlight and water, and eventually through some magic it will begin to grow. And here's what Paul says. He says, look, my job was to come here and plant the seeds. That's what I was called here to do. Apollos, his job was not to plant the seeds. His, his job was to come and water the seeds. And at the end of that, God is the one who increased things. And you're wanting to ask which one of us is greater? If you're spiritually mature, you'll see that God used both of us at different times for different purposes. Uh, this last week, I tried to do a little mechanic work. Don't laugh at me, my mechanic, my mechanic friends over here. I'm not very good at it, but I tried. I had to change a uh, boot on a CV joint on a side-by-side. -side. If you don't know what that means, it's not important. Just let me tell you what happened. So I, I sit there, and I start looking at this. I'm like, okay, I've got to get to work. So I went, and I got my first tool. I needed a four-way. I needed a four-way to take the tire off the side-by-side. -side. Well, after I got that done, that four-way was useless, so I laid it aside. And I went and got a pair of needle-nose pliers, because that was the tool I needed at that moment and then I got a socket and a wrench a ratchet and then I got another socket and another ratchet because that one wouldn't work anymore and then I got a crowbar and I started prying on things don't judge me okay and then things just weren't going well so I went and got my favorite tool which is a mini sledgehammer and here's what I know about mechanic work um, if you use a mini sledgehammer on whatever you're working on it will either fix it or you will at the very least feel better this time it fixed it and I felt better. So it was pretty cool. And after that, this boot, this little rubber piece up under the mule, I wanted to get it off. And so I thought, I'll cut it off. Don't judge me. I'll cut it off. And so I got a knife. Now, if you had showed up at that moment and I walked out, and I'm just holding this knife. You're like, Brian, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm fixing a side-by-side, -side, duh. You were like, why are you fixing a side-by-side -side with a knife? But at that moment, that was the appropriate tool for what I was trying to do. And you need to understand this. We need to understand this about how God works. Is God has different tools for different periods of time and uses different people in different stages for his glory. This is just like a church. Your abilities, your perspective have a purpose. But somebody who has a different ability and a different perspective of you, they're not wrong. God has placed them here because he has a purpose for them as well. It's just like this week in VBS. I don't know who God gives this gift of taking cardboards, a cardboard and spray paint and tablecloths and turning it into VBS. I don't know who he gives that. It's not me. I'm just there. But suddenly we had individuals here that could transform this, transform this entire church into some kind of artwork studio with, with these, these crazy gifts. And then we had people who taught and the people who served by food. Everybody had a purpose. God values all of us and has a purpose for all of us. Our next take-home truth is this. Is spiritually mature believers put faith in the power and plan of God. And we could say the opposite is true, is that spiritually immature uh, believers do not put power into the plan of or put faith into the power and plan of God. So at Corinth, what you see is spiritual immaturity because, the lead, because they were looking at the power of the leaders instead of the power of God. So at the very base of it, what does it mean to be spiritually mature? Does it mean I have great spiritual gifts? Does it mean I can, I can heal somebody with just a touch? That'd be awesome. No, at the very base of spiritual maturity, what Paul is saying here is when you come to a point and go, it's not about me. It's about the power of God. And even the very first step of becoming a Christian, that's what it takes. It takes me going to God and saying, I cannot save myself. God, only you have that power. And so I rely on your power to save me. 
So as, as we begin to grow, we no longer look at us, we no longer look at our power, we no longer look at our abilities, we may no longer even look at the present. I think as Christians, we're very short-sighted. What is God doing? What's he doing today? Like, it's all about today. And that's why we get divided, because we're so focused on the present. When in truth, God is working right now for the future. One year, five years, 50 years. I hope in 100 years, this church is sitting right here in the third building that we've had to build. And the people are being saved because the Bible is being taught here. And God has a plan for this church. Wednesday night, we got to take our, take our youth to, um, to church camp. Tiffany and Scott and I took about eight kids up there, and, and the pastor was up there talking, and all of a sudden he was talking about it. He said, I was born, and the very first place that I went after I was born was North Hills Baptist Church in Sherwood, Arkansas. Now, if you know me, you've heard that name a, a few times. I said it, I think I said it last week. And he talked about when he got saved. He said, I was six years old, and I was listening to Pastor Jim Ward. I actually mentioned him last week, I know for sure. And I thought, that's so cool, because I, my family came from North Hills Baptist Church. I know Pastor Jim Ward, who's been a pastor there for 45 years. And so I went up to him afterwards, I was talking to him. I was like, North Hills. Yeah, I don't know why I did that. You know, I was just like, yes, North Hills is awesome. I know Jim Ward too. And we got to talking, and here's what he told me. He said in his story, he said, when I went from being youth pastor to pastor at First, uh, First Baptist Walnut Ridge, I called my boyhood pastor, Jim Ward, and I went and I asked him, what do I need to do to be a pastor? And what was so cool about that is when I went from being youth director at Ramsey Heights to pastor at Ramsey Heights, I called a boyhood pastor, Jim Ward, and I went and I asked him, what does it take to be a pastor? And so let me tell you about North Hills about 25 years ago. About 25 years ago, there were some parents and grandparents there, and their kids were coming, and God was setting up something in their life that they would be able to use far, far in the future. Had no clue that those two boys that were crying or running around would one day come back and say, Brother Jim Ward, would you pour into Batesville? Brother Jim Ward, would you pour into Walnut Ridge? But God knew what he was doing there. It's the same thing here at Ramsey Heights. One more story. This week we had a little girl came here. A family member went and picked her up and her stepsister didn't want to come, but she came on Monday night by herself and she had a blast. She loved being at VBS and she went home and she told her stepsister all about it. And Tuesday night when that family member went to pick her up, here comes the little girl and stepsister. At seven years old, stepsister had never been to a church when I say she had never heard about Jesus, I, I don't mean she hadn't heard the gospel and knew all the details about it. I mean, she didn't know about Jesus turning water to wine. She didn't know about a cross. She didn't know about a virgin birth. She didn't know the story of Christmas. She didn't know any of that. And she came here Tuesday night, and when she left, guess what the last thing she said was, I can't wait to come back. And she did. That little girl might not have got saved this week, but God's got a plan in that and in the 30 or 40 other stories we have like that maybe maybe our job this week was just to teach a little girl how to love church and she'll have an opportunity to go somewhere where she'll have the gospel and maybe she'll hear the gospel and she'll get saved and maybe she'll get saved and she'll grow up and she'll marry a man of God and maybe they will raise children in the church and maybe one of those children might be a missionary or a pastor or a deacon or a Sunday school teacher or the next person who teaches VBS but God knows See, we, we can't focus on what's going on here today. We've got to stay focused on our mission. 
And when we start to look at it like this and say, hey, it may not be about what's going on at this exact moment. We're investing in the mission of what God can do in the future. We start to say, forget me, what's God doing? And we no longer have a reason to be disunified. You've heard me say this, and I want to say it again. As a church, we have a mission that we are going to chase nonstop, and that is making disciples. And I don't care about the results. I don't care if we chase disciples and we never get a new church member. I don't care if we share the gospel and nobody else ever gets baptized here. Let me take that back. I don't care is the wrong word. I don't know. Here's what I know is God has called us to that and we're going to follow it because God has a plan. We will plant, we will water, and we will work and we will wait for God to grow new believers. And if our mentality is so focused on that mission, there will be no church disunity at all because we have nothing to fight about. Because instead of being like four different horses that pull, pull in four different ways, we'll be a team of horses harnessed up by the Holy Spirit, all pulling in the same direction. Live if you want to come up here. So today I want to ask us a question of us as a church, and you as an individual and me as an individual. Let me ask us, how spiritually mature are we? Do we spend all of our time worrying about what I want or what I think would be great or what's going to grow the church or, or the way that I think it should be done? Or do we come here on Sunday morning and we're saying, I cannot wait to see what God does. I'm just making myself available for him. And this morning, there may be a lot of reasons you may be looking at yourself and saying, I'm spiritually immature. I'm not mission-minded because I'm not focused on the power of God. One of those may be that, that you've never been saved. And today is the day. I hadn't let the water out of the baptistry yet. We'll use it again next week. We're waiting on you. Like today may be the day, but maybe you're a Christian and maybe you're looking at yourself and going, I need to grow. I need to focus on the mission. I've got to get rid of that stubbornness in my life that I won't follow God. I've got to start really pursuing him in different ways because we have a mission and it's to see more of what we saw this morning. It's people come to Christ and disciples made. Today is the day to change. Don't leave here the same way that you came in. Please stand and worship with us.